The reading I want to share with you this morning is one from a Unitarian minister, the Reverend David O'Rankin. It's called A Resurrection Story. And he writes, Jean lived in a dingy red brick building in the heart of the city, enclosed by walls with bars on the upper windows. It was more like a cave than a home. Only a teenager, he had been convicted of sale and possession of narcotics. He was also a thief and a liar. For almost a year, we had met together every Thursday in a small room on the second tier of the cell block. We talked about prison, parents, children. We talked about Darwin and Einstein and Newton. We talked about love, hope, truth. We were never aware of the holy in our midst. During his final month of prison, Gene enrolled as a special student at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. After his early release, he became a full-time student in chemistry. When he graduated with honors from MIT, I was thanked by his father, by his mother, by Gene himself. It was pleasant to receive the accolades, but how the stone had been removed from the cave's entrance was impossible to tell. A resurrection is always a mystery, though it happens every day. Incredible gift, though we know life is, we know also that this world will break our heart again and again. We lose those we love, parents, partners, friends, even children. We receive or loved ones receive a life-threatening diagnosis. A long marriage comes to an end. We lose a job, and with that job, a core part of our identity is gone. A natural disaster uproots us. The life we knew is gone. We fall short of our dreams. At 25 or 55 or 75, we are shocked, perhaps even dismayed, at what our life is, what it has become. And ultimately, we face our own death. And you're either there right now in this broken-hearted place, or you have been there, or you will be there. I promise you this, and it happens more than once in a lifetime. Call it the tomb. Call it a little death before the big one. But it is that place where we are paralyzed, where we are in the wilderness, in bondage to grief or our own ego or a life and a set of habits that simply do not work any longer. In this place, the future disappears, it dissolves in a minute, and there is only darkness. There is no north star, no path, no map to follow. Which brings us to the Easter story. You'll remember that Jesus in this story rides into Jerusalem on a lowly donkey, 
as Jews gather for the Passover celebration to remember their escape from bondage in Egypt. You'll remember that Jesus is received with great fanfare and celebration. Palm leaves, we are told, are laid in front of him. Cloaks and coats are taken off and put down in front of him as would befit royalty, a king. And indeed, the people, there is a buzz that this is the Messiah. This is the anointed one. This is the new king who will bring in a reign of peace and mutual regard. It is a time of great promise. And yet, in just a few days, Jesus will be dead, nailed to a cross amidst common criminals, a victim of politics, betrayal, greed. His power, whatever it might have been, is no match for the power of the Roman Empire. Jesus dies a broken man, his ministry seemingly a failure. No kingdom change is coming. No new king will lead. His disciples, always a bit confused when Jesus was alive, muddled and perplexed by his parables and teachings and his gospel of radical inclusion, his disciples are swept up into a wilderness of grief and darkness and despair. The ride with the great teaching rabbi is over. He is dead and gone. But then something happens. In the Gospels, we are told that Mary Magdalene and another woman arrive at the tomb of Jesus, and they see that this large stone has been rolled back from the entrance. Various accounts say it was an earthquake. Perhaps angels, we don't know. It doesn't matter. They cautiously enter. They see a young man dressed in white robes, and they are alarmed. In some accounts, there are two men. In some accounts, this man is Jesus. It doesn't matter. The man says to them, Do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. The two women flee from the tomb in terror and amazement. In some accounts, they say nothing. They are so frightened. In other accounts, the disciples are told, and there's lots of disagreement after that as far as which disciple recognizes Jesus and who sees him amidst them. We'll never know the facts, the actual account. But what matters is that something happened in that community 2,000 years ago. Something happened after Jesus' death. Something happened then that can happen today and can happen tomorrow. Hold that. Let's pause that piece. Pause. I just finished reading this book by Terry Tempest Williams, a book called Finding Beauty in a Broken World. It is a book about mosaics and community and art and healing and the possibility of finding some beauty in a badly broken world. The last half of the book takes place in Rwanda. Terry Tempest Williams, along with some fellow artists, travels to a small village in Rwanda 
where she joins survivors of the 1994 genocide to build a memorial, a place to honor the dead, to remember what has happened, and to chart a different course for the future. One of the artists, a Chinese-American named Lily Ye, understands mosaics as taking that which was broken and creating something whole. And understand this about Lily Ye. She helped create the Village of Arts and Humanities in Philadelphia. She created it in the poorest of neighborhoods. She turned 260 blocks of a desolate, crumbling neighborhood into something stunning. She started this. She walked into this desolate neighborhood with a stick in her hand and drew a circle in the debris around her. And then curious children and adults began to wonder, what is this crazy woman doing here? And they came closer. And they came closer still, and she invited them, look, let's see what's in this circle. And they picked up the broken glass from bottles and from windows and the debris that was in that circle, and they started to create art. They created a tree of life on a standing wall of a structure that had been almost totally desolated. And that tree of life made from what was found in that circle. It was the first of many mosaics to restore beauty to a place of violence and abuse. As Lily said, as the artist said, joy is rooted in the depth of our suffering. It is out of my own brokenness and the brokenness of others in the darkest of places that I find healing, joy, possibility. This is what Lily and those other artists bring to Rwanda. They bring this sense of bringing the community together, of working with what is broken to create something powerful. And you can, learn, you can see this online barefootartists.org to learn more about this project. Unpause. Back to the gospel story. Immediately following Jesus' death, his life and ministry lay in shards around the feet of his disciples and followers. But on the third day after the empty tomb was discovered, something amazing begins to happen. Jesus' disciples begin to see and experience Jesus among themselves in a new way. They pick up the pieces of his broken life, his parables, his teachings, his ethic, his love. And as they gather those pieces, Jesus speaks to them walks with them, reminds them of who and what they could be, what they are called to do. As the Reverend Marilyn Sewell suggests, the real miracle in this story is less about Jesus and more about the disciples and how they begin to live his message in a new way. Surely they are frightened 
notes Marilyn Sewell, and they feel, they must feel grossly ill-prepared. But there is something about this risen Jesus that has changed them, that has given them strength and purpose and a kind of clarity that they never had before. Like the stars over dark fields, Love is the gift of the eternal forces. We do not know why it appears. It is just the song the universe sings to itself. And like other beauties, it is a demanding guest. As soon as love arrives, we have to serve it. We were naked and now must put on clothes and work. Even though Jesus is gone, This risen spirit, love, arrives, and the disciples, despite their own brokenness, decide to serve that love, come what may. The disciples are resurrected, are brought back to life, and light begins to enter the small cells of despair in which they sit. Now hear this as well. Despite the three-day timeline of this Easter story, sometimes we have to wander in the desert for 40 years before we find the promised land. Sometimes we are in the tomb for a long time before the stars come out and we see life beyond the loss. Resurrection and rebellion are on their own mysterious timeline. In Zorba the Greek, in the book, Nikos Kazantzakis finds a cocoon in the bark of a tree, just as the butterfly is making a hole in the case, preparing to emerge. He watches it for a while, but it's taking too long, and he's becoming impatient, so he bends over the cocoon and breathes into it to warm it up. He warms it up as quickly as he can, so that the miracle can happen right before his eyes, faster than life itself. And the case opens, and the butterfly starts to slowly crawl out. And with a horror that he will never forget, he sees how its wings are folded back and crumpled. The wretched little butterfly tries with its whole body to unfold its wings, and he realizes too late that it needed to be hatched out patiently. The unfolding of the wings should have been a gradual process in the sun. His breath had forced the butterfly to appear all crumpled before its time. It struggles desperately, and a few seconds later, the butterfly dies in his hand. He reflects on this, saying, We should not hurry, we should not be impatient but we should confidently obey the eternal rhythms of life. The message I want you to hear today is that resurrection and rebirth are part of that eternal rhythm, but they are not easy at all. It can be a time of fear and confusion and despair. You don't get to Easter without going through Good Friday. Think of the caterpillar melting into goop. 
I imagine, if I was a caterpillar, that would be a terrifying, frightening, mysterious process to go from a caterpillar to a bunch of goop to a butterfly. And that process cannot be rushed. Along the same lines, surely it was terrifying for these disciples of Jesus who had followed him for so long to then be transformed into those who led with that message of love and forgiveness. And surely, surely it is equally as scary for you and for I when we are stripped bare of everything we know the identity that grounds us, that holds us, we die in essence and then are transformed into something new. So this Easter Sunday, I invite you to remember that the message of Easter is not about bodily resurrection and the promise of eternal life, but rather the promise that out of brokenness, beauty and joy can be possible. That out of despair, hope can blossom again. So no matter where you are in your life, in darkness or a tomb, know that love, that demanding guest, will arrive again, will reclaim you, will resurrect you. You don't have to believe it here. I want you to believe it here. I want you to understand that love will draw a circle in an empty, desolated lot, and you and others, out of curiosity and wonder, will be drawn to that place with your own brokenness and the brokenness of that community, and you will find in that brokenness something powerful and healing, something resurrecting. That is my hope and my prayer on this Easter Sunday. May it be so. Amen.